Today we have a special bit of bonus content on the Providence Reformed Church feed. On Sunday morning, March 19th, we had a Q&A panel with three of our four church elders during our adult Sunday school class, our growth class. And the church asked a lot of good questions. Some of the questions were asked by people on the floor. Some were asked by people texting them or emailing them in. And we did our best to get through several of them. There's still lots more questions that we want to get to in a future time when we do this again, but everybody seemed to have a great time. There were a lot of smiles, a lot of laughs, and I think some really good content. So hopefully you'll enjoy this bonus piece of content from Providence Reformed Church. But I'm going to get us started here, and I want to ask a question that um, we just got, and I think it'll, it'll help us get going. And the question was, can people, do you guys believe that people on the other side of the grave can see us now? That was the question. So, Ben, what do you think? Do you think people who are... Yeah, I love how you start in right there with that one. <laughs> Get her done. Yes, I'm, no, or I don't know. I'm, those are, those I'm, are I'm gonna go with, I'm, just, I'm, I'm simply going to go with no, just a, just a flat-out no. Okay. <clears throat> any, any rationale how you, get, how you get there or just... I don't see a need. Yeah. I mean, we, we see where, you know, we hear people on the other side, you know, can... You hear people say, oh, on the other side, they could see and, and, you know, they can't do anything. They can't give them any kind of mercies. Um, There's imagery of the chasm between the bosom. But just for simplistic purposes, I'm going to say no. All right. By bosom, he means bosom of Abraham? Yes, bosom Um, of Abraham. I'm just trying to help us here because that sounded weird. Um, We'll we'll cut this first question out of the recording whenever we get. Thank you. Thank you. Getting more. I think that's I think that's good. You know, one of the things that I would add to it is just if we are in the presence of God, if you're in heaven, uh, I'm not certain that it would be perfect joy to be looking down and worrying about a world that is not yet redeemed. So my gut also would be no. I don't think that people from the other side of the grave can see us. I don't think, I think they still care about us. I think they still love us. Uh, I, there are people who are in heaven who I believe uh, may be still looking at the Lord saying, how long until you wrap that thing up down there? Um, but I don't know that I have any reason to believe that they would be, you know, watching your baseball game or something of that nature, which is usually when that term is used, right? Oh, that he hit a home run, and oh, I know his dad's looking down on him now. I mean, you've heard the joke of the Cowboys team, right? That's why it's the Lord's favorite football stadium, because of, you know, the hole in the top. See, yeah. That's why they built a dome. They wanted to cover that baby up. Uh, so, If God's a Cowboys fan, um, we Well, have Jason's not here, so we, we can bash on the Cowboys all <laughs> we true, want. That's so. true. So, all right. One, one of you guys, do you guys have the list of the questions in front of you? Yeah. If, if you want to, or you can see it on my computer here, if you want to just cursor around. and. You just do what you want to do. I don't care. I'll look at you. So, Ben, you can ask a question. All right, let's see here. As Reformed believers, how should we react to events like the Osbury Revival? Ah. This is a good one. Or Asbury if you're from Kentucky, just so you know. So, um, Anthony, you, you want to start anything there? with, with what, do you, what should we be thinking about the Asbury Revival? Ah, this, is, this is a hard one, actually. And I, I think we've got to be both cautious and optimistic at the same time. Um, if, you, if you think of, especially in Acts, when, when we would see revivals occurring, uh, we have to start to ask ourselves, well, what, what does a, did a revival look like? And a revival looked like people repenting and turning to the gospel. Um, you would see people being saved. Um, and if we look at the Asbury revival, and, and I'm using that term loosely, but if we look at what's happening there, I don't quite know if we are seeing people repenting from their sins. Um, Asbury is a very liberal um, college. They're, they've done some questionable things. Um, but if a revival is, is truly occurring in the next couple months, we will see a, a, a surge of people repenting. We will see a surge of um, churches growing. We will see, hopefully, uh, the churches in that school repent and turn from some of their current sins that they, they're dealing with, especially in, in some of their leadership and some of their policies. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that would, I, I want to be cautious and optimistic at the same time. So, okay. so 
I agree that you know we should be cautious and optimistic for revivals. I'm saying in general. I tend to look at them as um, altar calls of a funky Baptist church. I'm very cautious. But when the question is, say, well, let's reserve and watch for fruit, in this specific one, we can watch for fruit. They broadcasted it, and I can tell you how I feel about it. There is no fruit. Mm. This happened, uh, same school has already done this a few times, and there was no swelling of churches or Christians in the area. There was no gospel that was shared on the videotapes. All that was shared is, Jesus made my leg a little longer. I don't even know if Jesus' name was ever dropped with some of the testimonies, to be quite honest with you. So as a Reformed person, test it, and this particular one was tested. It is not good. And I would say, what we want to do, when you hear that revival's taking place, when you hear that an outpouring, or however you want to, people use all sorts of different terms, I think our first reaction should be, may it be so, right? I think all of us would say, okay, if you hear good stuff's going on, people are praying, repenting, awesome, praise God, I hope that's for real, you know? But I think like these guys have said, the we'll see, the, the let's watch to see if this is going to stick is important. And I think what Ben has said is really significant. There are plenty of testimonies of the worship being led. I mean, they, they, they're, they use the term queer students, uh, involved in their worship team, leading them in their music and things of that nature. And if there's something obvious that's not being turned from, I think we have a reason to question. But here's the other thing we want to be careful about. We don't want to necessarily become the people who always poo-poo everything that is happening in the world around us, even from groups that are different than us. We just want to be, okay, let's, if, if good things are happening, we'll praise God. If they're not, we'll let God take, take care of it. Um, I think about, you know, the words of Gamaliel in Acts 5 when Gamaliel said, look, leave them alone. If this movement is from God, you won't be able to stop it. If it's not from God, it's not going to go anywhere. And while Gamaliel was not speaking as a believer, as far as I can tell, he spoke some wisdom there. So I think that's kind of how we look at it. Um, Just let's see. But my guess is like Ben said, I think there's too many, we have a lot of evidence right now that would say this probably is not a faithful move. So, anyway. Let me ask, before, before we do another question, anybody out there, any one of you guys want to ask us a question? I, I do have a couple questions that have been texted to me. I can ask one uh, or two of those. Go. I feel unloved. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh. Okay. Okay. So the question for the recording is, how do we, how would we even define the word revival? Because different people define it differently. The first thing I'll tell you, Vanessa, is if you could go back to an old Christian bookstore, there you can get a copy of an album called Revival in the Land by Carmen, and I think that will set it straight for you. I wish she knew what that was. I really do. It's, it's, it is special. Um, but with that said, by definition, I think we can say first, what does the word revive mean? It means to bring back to life a thing that had previously been alive. Therefore, the term revival, I don't believe, should be used for anyone but for Christians. And the idea should be that a church, think of a church like we see in the, in the seven letters in, the, in Revelation, a church like the Laodicean church that is not, um, they're lukewarm, they're not hot or cold. If that church were to repent and to return to the Lord and see evidences of people genuinely loving the Lord, then you could call that revival. However, in our country, revival has become synonymous with a series of planned meetings that churches would hold in order to try to strengthen the body and maybe bring about uh, that type of actual spiritual revival. So when I grew up, churches, ha- you, you scheduled a revival about every year in Baptist church. Y'all, how many of you had, went to churches that had revivals? Yep. All right. 
Only a couple of you. That's funny. That's yeah. why Jesse's hand just shoot up. And- I actually <laughs> have a uh, friend who is an elder at a church in West Virginia, and uh-huh. he has a revival every month with a tent, a bullhorn, loud music, and dancing. Well, there goes my summer plans. So, uh, I judge him harshly. Good job. So, but like, I, there's nothing wrong with scheduling revival services. We need to be careful not to be judgy-judgy on that just because maybe it's not our way or what. A revival is no different than holding a conference. It's no different than whatever. Typically what it would be is it would start, you know, on the Sunday. The guest preacher would come in and preach and then you'd have services Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe even Friday nights, maybe all the way to the next Sunday. Years ago, it'd be two weeks long. And the idea of getting people to change their lives so much that they give up their normal evenings for a couple of weeks to come and sit under the word and to worship and to fellowship actually was a healthy, positive thing for a lot of churches. When, however, you think it is your evangelistic outreach or when you think that you can somehow manipulate the spirit of God to do something with you, then we're using the term revival, but we're doing something that's very man-centered. So I would say... um, you know, again, we don't want to be anti-revival, but uh, Baptists, Methodists, especially throughout the land, are very typically from, his, from history revivalistic churches, meaning that they look at these events and they uh, kind of, you know, they, they expect that we can plan these things, we can schedule them, and it'll be really helpful for us. So they're not bad, it's just, it's a thing. Um, it's funny because, like, what they're claiming at Asbury is more akin, honestly, to, quote-unquote, an awakening. We've got our two great awakenings in, in American church history, one of which I would say to you was a really good spiritual event, and what we call the second great awakening, I think, was nutso. Um, people, did a, people in Kentucky during the second great awakening claimed that they had the spirit because they got what they called the barks, and they literally would start barking like dogs. That happened during the Second Great Awakening. Now, does that mean it wasn't real? No, but does it give me question? Okay, you disagree, I understand. <laughs> but I think it's something that should make you be very cautious about apologize it. apologize for my son. We love him. So, does that help Vanessa on the revival question? Awesome, thanks. So, can we do a revival, like Jurassic Park themed? Uh, no. That's Vacation Bible School, that's different. <laughs> Fine. But if you want to do one, I'm, I'm in, I mean... And just on the, uh, a really good article that um, read a week or two ago, I don't remember when it came out, but Tim Challies wrote a uh, very short, maybe three, four-minute read article just on the revival. The and Asbury think, summary, and, yeah. And he's, he summarized some really good points, and one of the, the sticking points of that, or that article that really stuck with me is, is re- like, true revival happens within your local church. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's a big difference of, of what we see uh, outside of a college and what we see within the context of, of local churches where, again, people are repenting of the gospel. You're seeing growth um, flow out of the, the, what, what the Lord has done within the local church. Awesome. So it's just you know, things to, to think about. Why don't you read us one of your text questions, Anthony? Yes. And I'm, I've gotten two so far, so maybe I don't know if we want to do one and then jump back to some of the older ones. But Either way. The first one I got, so if the other person, you, you were beat by one minute. But the, the first question I got was... Uh, will um, or do animals go to heaven? Do animals go to heaven? Well, we need to remember two things. There is a heaven, there's a hell, there are dogs, and there are cats. Amen. Um, <laughs> um, do you want to you do this one, Ben, or you want me to do it? No. There you go. Ben, can I ask why? Why, do you, why? why is that? Do you believe that animals have souls? Yes. <laughs> no, I don't believe animals. You're really confused, I, Anthony. I was, you should have seen the look I, on his face. I was, agree- I was agreeing with that's a good question, not yes, I believe Anthony animals was coming up souls. to answer and just like brain fell out. And his rut row. Uh, Pray for our pastor. Scooby-Doo. Okay, so Scooby-Doo has a soul. Tell me, you know, come on. We are made in the image of God. We have, lack of a term, a destiny, horrible use, but we have purpose. God put us on the earth for a reason and then gave us dominion over the earth. Yeah. We don't hear anything about this with animals. Animals are useful. They are to be eaten. They are to be used Amen. for working. 
They are used to show the creativity of our Lord, the beauty of creation. There'll be animals in the new, uh, new earth, but there won't be your pet dog. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. And if I made anyone cry, I'm sorry. But. Yeah. You know, and, and um, something that uh, what we need to address when questions like this get asked, there's an underlying question that usually has a, has a lot to do with um, the sensitivity to, you know, I miss my animals or I miss my pets and, you know, I'm, do I, am I going to spend eternity with them? And those are valid questions. And I, I think all of us who own pets adore and love our pets and we'll do whatever we can for our pets. But Ben, really, hit, you hit the nail on the head with that one. It's the Lord has, has chosen for him people as of creation to, for his purpose, right? Yeah. And when we go to heaven, we're not, we, we get to spend eternity with the Lord and worship the Lord. We're not worried about, I and mean, there's no need for, uh, sorrow or, or missing something that we felt that was lost. Well, we get to spend eternity with a holy, perfect God. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that in heaven, Abigail won't get a perfect copy of Cheyenne, by the way. Maybe, maybe she'll get a Cheyenne 2.0. We don't know. But the soul issue is probably the key theological issue here. If, if we're wrong about that, then wonderful. But it seems to me that thinking theologically about the, the, the eternality of a human soul versus whatever animals have, I think would be different. So. You guys say it so nicely. We're, we're sweet Maybe people. I'm a little too blunt. Maybe. So, well, we all know Ben has issues. All right, anybody on the floor want to ask us another one? You scared them, Ben. I know. All right, I, I have a question from someone on the it's floor. It's your bluntosity. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Two, two more questions from someone on the floor. Okay. Um, and, and I, I might, I'm going to ask the question, if we don't understand, I, I might maybe ask for, for clarification. Go. Uh, but is the tithe for the New Testament church? That's it, a great question. Is the question. tithe for the New Testament church? Right. So, I'm, and they're not asking what's the destination of the tithe. They're asking if tithing is biblically commanded uh, at this point. And here's what I would say to you on that. I give you a qualified no, in this regard. Are we under Old Testament Israelite law to tithe as they tithed? The answer is no, because we're not ancient Israel. Also, if you tithed the way ancient Israel tithed, you would actually be given, giving 23 and a third percent of your income every year because there were three tithes that you would take part in for different purposes. However, one of the things that you should understand is that the principle of giving regularly, freely, joyfully, and in proportion with how the Lord has blessed you is absolutely a biblical command. And throughout church history, Christians have very often considered that principle of the tenth that we can find in the tithe as a very solid, wise starting point for your giving. So I could not sit here and say to you with honesty that it's a command. Um, some people would use Matthew twenty three twenty three, where Jesus said that the Pharisees tied their mint and their dill and their cumin and they, they neglect the weightier portions of the law. And then, the, then Jesus says they should have done the former without neglecting the latter they use that as, as a way to say Jesus brought the tithe over into the New Testament church, but that's a pretty loose interpretation of that verse. So, if you're a Christian, should you tithe? Yes. Should you more than tithe? Yes. Should you tithe off of your gross or your net? Yes. Which one do you want to be blessed on is the question. You want to be, we got to bless you based on your gross <laughs> or your net. It's, it's all up to you. Uh, but, my granddad used to say that. I like that one. But, Bottom line is, it's, we're not under that law, but it is a righteous principle. So, anyone want to jump in on that? Oh, I did it well. Okay, go on. Good job, Pastor. Thank you. Um, so, another question I got is, and really this is just a question of the problem of evil, right? So, if God created all things, and God created, created Satan, and Satan is evil, then is God the author of evil? Great question. That is a good question. Ben, what do you think? <laughs> No. And to say otherwise is, is heresy. I, I just like letting bingo. Nope. You heretic. Okay. So, yeah. You want to you offer any thoughts on this, Anthony? This is a question. People have been debating this for, for centuries. Um, 
Yeah, and the, well, the, first, do you agree with Ben? Yes. Okay. The, no hesitation there. Yes, okay. I, I agree with Ben. Um, the, there's, there's some implications that, that arise from, from that question. Um, if God created all things and God, and God created Satan, is Satan is evil. And the question is, well, is, then the author, uh, is, is God then the author of evil? There's a distinction that we have to make when this question comes up, and, and we have to define our terms. Um, something bad occurring or something bad happening that we would use the language as bad is not inherently evil. Um, I can't remember the, the, the passage, and, and I wrote a, a, a paper on it at one point in time. Um, but calamity is, is, word, is, is the word that was used in uh, the passage of Scripture where we're talking about um, you know, bad things happening. It, that is, calamity or hardship is not necessarily evil. Um, a, a tsunami is not in and of itself evil. Uh, so you not getting the job is not necessarily in and of itself evil. When God created creation, he created everything good and he, and he deemed it as good. What, what we get from evil from later is really what we've opted and, and, and chosen to do, right? The Lord is still ruler over everything. You know, to, to give a biblical distinction here, the Bible uses the word evil in more than one way. The Bible uses the word evil not meaning moral evil sometimes. So the Bible will refer to a storm killing people as an evil. And that's true. It is an evil, but it's not moral evil. So, but I don't think that's, that's not in the heart of the question, right? The, the heart of the question, bottom line is, is God the author of the source of the cause of moral evil? Is God the father of sin? And the word of God is pretty clear to us. God is perfect in all of his ways. He cannot sin. He does not tempt people to sin. He's not tainted with sin in any way. What God clearly did, however, is chose that when he would create, he would create, including creating people and a devil who would have the opportunity to sin, who would freely choose sin, though God does not force them to do so, and would break the world in doing so, so that now the evil of man is spread person to person, parent to child, all the way through all of our generations, until um, Christ redeems it and sets everything right. But God's allowing the existence of evil, even though it's part of his sovereign command, his, his ultimate sovereign plan, does not make him guilty of doing evil because God himself does not do evil, but allows people to, do, to, to behave in accord with their greatest desires. You want to read the 1689 on that? Did you find it? No, I didn't find it. I got it up. Do you know what chapter it was? Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm desperately flipping. Problem through. of evil's in there, but I don't know where it is. Yeah, it's it's not. It, it's we'll not find it later. But way. there's a nice paragraph on that. So, yes. Yes, Isaiah forty-five seven. <laughs> Isaiah forty-five seven says, "Benet." See, there, there you go. Quick with the word out there. What I, do you guys I think? Had my Bible <laughs> open to it. I just I, had to look up the reference because I couldn't remember it. It's all good. What about you guys? Anybody want to ask us a, a question out there? I don't want to leave any of you out while we've got some things that were mailed to us. We're not that funny. Is this interesting so far? Okay. Just try, trying to not to bore you to tears. All right, guys. How would you answer when somebody asks you, what does it mean to be reformed? Our church has reformed in the name what in the world does that mean? Especially if they're not a doctrine nerd. What does it mean? I, my, my mom goes to a Baptist church. My dad goes to a Catholic church. You say you're Reformed. What is it? Well, I think it's, if you want a concise answer with it, you're going to endorse the solas. You're going to be Calvinistic. You're going to be confessional. And those are the three main ones, but... One okay, really so, important one to add is yes. going to be worship and how we worship. Uh, I know me and Jesse, we actually, one of the reasons we left our last church was over worship. Now, I'm not a legalistic person. I'm not going to say you have to follow the regulatory principles of worship. But singing proper songs that give glory to God, scriptural songs that give glory to God, not Jesus is my boyfriend. So if you want me to expand that a little bit, when I say... 
the solas, you can I, read the sign. So I'm not going to expand on that one. I, I, th- I thought you wanted to expand on the Jesus is my boyfriend. And I was like, no, we don't want you to expand on that. We all know what those songs are. Yeah. Well, if, if you can sing the song and take Jesus' name out of it and put, like, your boyfriend's name in it, there's a problem. That, that's true. I would never do that. I don't have a boyfriend. Well, thank you. I'm, you know what? I'm very glad. You know, that's, not yet. Okay, fun. so uh, the... Wow. Let's look at Shush. I'm sorry. Look at the solas for a second and think about them because that, that is important, right? During the Protestant Reformation, the church began to define five things that really set it apart from the Roman Catholic Church. And that is that our highest and final authority for all things related to, to doctrine, life, practice is Scripture. That's what sola scriptura means. doesn't mean the Bible is the only thing you can learn from. But it does mean that the Bible is the ultimate final authority. It doesn't mean that church councils, church history, whatever, that they're not helpful. They are. But the authority for all that we think and do as a church is Scripture, final authority. Uh, and the, because Scripture alone is the authority, there's not a team of church leaders that have the final word on how scripture must be interpreted. The Roman Catholics call that a magisterium, and we reject that. That's part of being reformed. Then you have salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All of our lives are to be done to the glory of God alone. Every one of those principles push back against uh, things that had gone wrong in the church during uh, the, the years of the medieval time, especially as the Catholic church grew further and further away from scripture. Um, the earliest church, you know, they had a lot of this stuff right, and then we saw a major downgrade happen. Um, ben mentioned be confessional. That's something that different people will argue whether you must be formally confessional to be a Reformed church. And what, what they mean by that is, must a church subscribe to one of the classical confessions of faith in order to be officially a Reformed Church. Some say yes, some say no. Right now as a church, we are looking at a classical confession because we think it's helpful and we think it's useful. And we will often go to it to help it be some good guardrails, as Ben likes to say, for our doctrine. But we have not officially subscribed to a, a confession. What was the other one you said? You did confessional, you did solas? Calvinistic. Calvinistic. I didn't say tulip because... Everyone uses their own little acronym, but Calvinistic in nature. Right. So, and I think that when Providence Reformed Church started, I believe that what y'all meant was Calvinist. I don't believe, and one of the ways I know that is I remember being interviewed, and I asked, when they asked me if I was Reformed, I said, yes, but not like a Presbyterian. And they said, what do you mean? And so we had to talk that issue through a little bit, and I don't think that some of the other issues related to thinking of the covenants, the way that Presbyterians think of the covenants, those really weren't included in it, though for many people, that's part of what they mean when they say reformed. So all in all, if you want a short answer, what does it mean to be a reformed church? It means we love the Bible a lot. We give God the credit for salvation from start to finish. Um, and we believe that we are historically in line with faithful churches like this, especially ones that, that showed up after the time of the Reformation, after the time of the Protestant Reformation. I think those things probably mark it best. But I also think you need to, you need to know who you're talking to because they may just want to know what makes you not Catholic or Mormon. And so you answer it that way. But Reformed does have, you know, the, the, the truths that were reclaimed during the Protestant Reformation are truths we still affirm. Probably is the best way to say it. And our worship is theologically sound. Uh, yeah, we, we worship do is a huge part. Yeah. You know, we're not fully, again, we, we don't fight on the regulative principle issue, but we're pretty darn regulative. If you guys know that, do you guys know the term the regulative principle? Uh, Please okay. tell us. Okay, so the regulative principle is something that, again, came out of, of the, the Reformation time especially, you'd see it there, where they would say the church only does in worship what has been commanded by God. Therefore, the church does not bring into as acts of worship things God has not commanded. That's the only way that I've been able to keep Kay from doing an interpretive dance. It, 
It has been the regulative principle that's... that's you know, I'm going to just insert a question that we got because you made the joke, but one of our wives, one of the three of our wives. Well, mine's not in the room, right? Okay, well, you you can start doing process of elimination. Uh One of them texted, and the question they asked is, can we enact church discipline, especially when one of the elders makes terrible jokes? Uh, the problem is terrible and, 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 is a relative and, term. And the greater, would it be a greater discipline the more face palms that we get out of it as well? See, I always consider face palms a goal. So I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. I think it is a, I think it is a, uh, it, it's a measure. You guys know why I use humor when I, when I talk a lot of times? There's, there's a couple of reasons. One is during a sermon, especially if I've been making a point that I feel like maybe beating you up, I want to bring something in to remind you we're family together. And also, honestly, if I say something that makes you chuckle a little bit, it helps me know that you're here because I cannot see your faces. I cannot see eye contact. So I need sometimes to do something to gain verbal, some audible feedback. So I promise you it's never about Let's be silly and flippant. Um, so back to re- re- regular principle real quick. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. Um, we don't bring in... Um, in well, in, in our worship... No, it's not the issue. But <laughs> instruments are, are fine. And we love... There's no piano in the Bible. Uh, there are guitars in the Bible, I'm pretty sure. Because so the harp David would have played would have looked a lot like a, a guitar. So anyway, but... Um, so, but there have been churches I've gone to that will set up four stations around the room. And when you come in to worship, you go to whatever you want to do. Like while the sermon's going on, you might go to one corner and finger paint. Or you might go to one corner and make yourself a latte and do foam art to express what you feel. And they would call it an act of worship. Now, I'm not anti-finger painting or latte art. But we're not going to bring that in as part of our worship because we don't believe that is what God has commanded us to do. So we try to limit what we do to that which is a direct command of Scripture or an easy, obvious application of what Scripture has commanded in worship. So that's the regulative principle. And I'd say we're pretty darn close to it. Some would say we're not. Some would say we are because it all depends on how they interpret that word. So someone wanted to see us fight. Okay. So the question I just got texted, and I'm not... Jesse? I'm, I'm above fighting, so I'm just going to state that uh, I'm right, and you all just are wrong. You are on my right, if that makes you The question better. is, what branch of eschatology do you each ascribe to, and why? Awesome. I'll go first. So, I'm going to just use the restroom really quick. <laughs> you guys, uh, plausible deniability. Okay, you can, but you've got to stay right there. So I ascribe to the uh, right... Jonah, can I have one of those bags from yesterday? (laughs) I ascribe to the right eschatology. (laughs) Go. And that is all mill. Why? Originally, I'll I'll admit... Well, I started off as those crazy left-behind eschatology We love those people. But I was a baby. Don't judge me, okay? Um, And then uh, I probably started leaning towards historic pre-mill. And then, you know, just... That's the correct answer, by the way. Yeah, uh-huh. No. Wait a minute now. <laughs> are, you just, are you just now agreeing with him because you don't want to get involved in this? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, keep, keep, drink, keep, keep, keep drinking water. Keep going. Uh, everyone always makes a claim, well, after all the research, you know, I've come to this. And, well, we've each done those research and come to different conclusions. I yeah. think most of end time stuff is complete. I do not think 100% of it is. I think that... Smarter men than us who held to all millennialism. I, I don't want to say it was, it's not the original eschatology, but it is old. It is one of the oldest. Premillennialism is fairly new. Uh, I'm not going to fight with the post mills. They are similar. They came out of eschatology or out of all mill. But uh, yeah, I'm an optimistic all mill. Okay. I would disagree with Ben that premillennialism is new. Dispensational premillennialism is new, but I don't think you can say that 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 the concept of premillennialism is new. Um, but uh, Anthony, do you, do you want to stake out a position before I fix all this? Oh, no, not really. So, so if you guys don't know, I, I the all the all mill and historical premill are 
ask me each week and I might have a different answer for you. I might be on a different side of the fence. Um, it, it's, a, it's an issue that I haven't dove too much in, but don't, don't shoot the messenger. But frankly, I don't really care enough to. So you're pan mill. It'll all pan out in the end. Fight an opinion. Yeah, I'm pan mill. I, I still prefer pro, I prefer pro millennial, meaning I'm 4,000 years of Jesus reigning anytime. Bill, you have a question. You, you want us to clarify what these terms mean? Yes. Okay. I, 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 will, I will help you with that. I will help you with that. So you, are you done enough? Yes. Okay. I'm reading the next question. This is a long one. So, so the, when, when we're asked what branch of eschatology we hold to, first of all, the word eschatology means the doctrine of last things and times. How is God going to wrap up the world? And every one of us here agrees on certain things. For example... We're going to agree that, um, that God, that Jesus Christ will literally return to this earth. We're going to agree that after death, every person will, as soon as somebody dies, they will immediately either be in the presence of God in comfort and peace or under the judgment of God in hell or something hell-ish until the final hell comes. We believe that when Christ returns, there will be a moment when Jesus judges every single person by pretty much upholding for many people who have died already what they are already experiencing, either upholding the sentence of hell or the pronouncement of grace, and that Jesus Christ will reign with his people in resurrected bodies forever. Hallelujah. Amen. So we all agree with that. Um, then the question looks is the issue of timeline as to what is yet to come. And the timeline is often defined by the discussion of Revelation chapter 20 and a thousand-year time period that's mentioned there. Um, And different people look at that particular chapter differently, and because of how they interpret that chapter differently, they will have a different expectation as to what is to come. So, some people would argue that the Bible teaches post-millennialism. Post means after, right? That there's a thousand years of Christ reigning followed by the end of all things. Uh, and the idea of most postmillennialists would be that the church will be overall extremely victorious in, that, in the, the season of the last especially thousand years, although some would make that a relative term. Again, there's different, there's different flavors of all of these, and that eventually the church will be so victorious that they escort, that Christ returns to a Christianized world. I'm being very loose there, but I think that's fair. Uh, the amillennial, amillennial is a bad term, first of all, and you know it. You know, if, it if is, you, it is. The, the Greek prefix a before a word means there is none, right? So an atheist, atheist, believes there is no God. An amillennialist, they say, it sounds like you're saying there is no millennium. And that is not what any faithful amillennialist believes, an amillennialist believes that right now, every Christian who has died and is, and is in heaven is currently reigning with Christ in a season of time that, we would, that they would say Revelation 20 is talking about when it references the millennium. And that therefore, as the world moves forward, the church will gain, the church will be victorious, the evil of the world will continue to be present and Christ will return and set all things right on the last day. Um, and that they do not believe that, that there's anything to follow. Like when Christ returns, he sets it right at that moment. He blows the whistle, everybody out of the pool, it's all done. Um, a pre-millennialist believes that Revelation 20 is speaking of a time that, that, that Christ will return before the millennium of Revelation 20 takes place. Therefore, a premillennialist believes, like the amillennialist 
most premillennialists and amillennialists will be in lockstep going forward as to what the world's going to look like until Christ's physical return. But the premillennialist believes that Revelation 20 is actually speaking of a literal a literal thousand year period to come after Jesus returns in which he will in which, in which he will reign on the earth with resurrected saints as well as with people who are not yet redeemed and then at the end of that thousand years is when the final judgment will take place and every bit of the argument hinges on how one interprets revelation chapter 20 and the text that says to us that um that the people who were, who were with Christ came to life and reigned with him for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand year period, uh, others came to life and were judged. And it is a, it's a difficult topic because we've really got one chapter that really helps us discuss that issue. I am his, I'm what you would call a historic premillennialist, which means I do believe the millennium is a literal thing to come. I am not, however, a dispensational premillennialist. Now, I need to give you that term. I, ha- I hate to do it, but I, I, now, first of all, we love our dispensational friends. I don't like it when I hear us being mean to them. Ben. Uh, it's, it's always Ben, by the way. Yeah, it always has been. So there's, here's a face palm right there. Come on. Uh, Wayne Grudem did a great job one time. Grudem is a historic premillennialist, by the way. Uh, he said, you know what? I'm, I disagree with our dispensational brothers and sisters, but the American church owes dispensationalists a huge debt of gratitude because when, when theological liberalism swept Europe and was sweeping into the United States, it was primarily the dispensational premillennialists who loved the word enough and took the word, quote, literally, quote, enough, to fight back against the people that were denying things like the resurrection and the existence of miracles. So don't be mean to that group. Even if you, like me, disagree with them entirely on how they believe the history of the Bible goes. They believe that over the, over the period of Scripture, a dispensationalist believes that there are seven periods of time throughout the history of the church, and God worked with people differently during, each, during all seven of those times. And that what God did when Jesus was raised from the dead is he put the nation of Israel on pause. He's working with the church right now. And that right before Jesus comes back, he's going to grab the church out of the world and, and then take seven years to finish his work with Israel before Christ comes back. And then there will be a millennium and then there'll be the final judgment. And I just don't think the Bible supports that in any form. So if you hear somebody that talks about, I believe a rapture is to come, followed by seven years of hardship, followed by the, real, the, second, the, the actual visible return of Christ, that's a dispensational premillennialist. If you hear somebody say, I believe we may have a time period where the world gets really, really hard and then Christ comes back, that's an amillennialist or a, po- or a premillennialist of the other stripe. If you hear somebody say the church is going to be so victorious that Christ returns to a peaceful world, that's a post-millennialist. None of these are heresy. We have room to disagree on them. Does that help your answer to those? Was that a long enough answer to the eschatology question? (laughs) All right. So so we probably have room for one more question. Yes, go. (laughs) Not if you can't say it, I won't do it. Spit it out, woman. She wants me to finish describing historic premillennialism. So the, the idea of a historic premillennialist is that, just like the amillennialists and everybody else, there's this belief that there will be light and dark in the world, good and evil. A, 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 uh, the church is going to be victorious and take the gospel into all nations. The wickedness of the world will also grow to hate the church more. At the end of the, at the, end of the day, though, uh, God is victorious. It, we believe that there will be a season that will come right just before Christ returns where uh, the world will get actually aggressively, angrily wicked. And you hear people use the term tribulation for that, though we also know that we're in tribulation now. So I don't know that it has to be an official number of years period the way some folks make that out to be. Then a historic premillennialist believes that 
the church will go through the hardest of times, just like an amillennialist will believe that. But then when Christ returns, there will be a thousand years of the church reigning with Christ alongside uh, in our resurrected bodies. But the, but the renewal of the earth won't be complete until after that time. Talk to me later. Say that again. Yes. Yes. The, so, so, exactly. A, a, a dispensational premillennialist, if they, are a, if they believe it from when it started, which, by the way, dispensational premillennialism started in the 1800s. So it's, it is very new on the scene. Uh, a dispensational premillennialist believes that God deals with Israel differently even in how they are saved. Now, Today, you'll find people from that camp that don't believe that. They're inconsistent, and they know it with their view. But they believe that the church will be raptured out of the world so that a seven-year period of time will occur called the Great Tribulation, and God then will save a whole bunch of, of people from Israel during that time frame and then wrap up history. The, a, a, a historic premillennialist, amillennialist, and postmillennialist, none of those would believe that that is required of God. So all the books about rebuilding the temple and you've been left behind, like as Tim LaHaye wrote his, wrote his books in those movies, all of those are dispensational premillennial. John MacArthur is dispensational premillennial to a point. He, he will tell you he's a leaky dispensationalist because he does not believe God saves Israel in any different way. He tries to be he, but he is a dispensationalist. Um, John Piper is a historic premillennialist. Um, most of your Presbyterians, your, your Ligonier folks like Sinclair Ferguson uh, would be a, an amillennialist. R.C. Sproul, I don't know where he ended up. I think he's historic premill now, but I don't know where he... <laughs> I think he died in all mill. <laughs> <laughs> you got to admit that was good. Come on. Um, so, uh, you know, and the reason I say that is we've got good people on all the sides of that. Jonathan Edwards was a form of post-millennialist. Um, your modern, uh, again, there are, more, there are certain modern groups today that are, that are there, though. Again, post-millennialism is growing, but is not the is not the big boy on the block yet as far as the, the three views. So, Do you know what is the big boy on the block right now? I'm a millennialism. That's right. That's where all the cool kids are. <laughs> That's where all the cool kids are. Um, but, like, you'll, again, you'll hear names like Greg Bonson and, um, oh, gosh, who's another good? Rashtuni. Van Til. Uh, Cornelius Van Til. I don't know if, if he ended up, post, was he post-millennial at the end? Uh, anyway, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so you'll find some guys there. There are some churches today that, that, would, that are definitely clinging uh, to the post-mill view. Uh, and again, we love those folks too. And they're, they're very excited because, again, these folks are really looking forward to the church taking over the world, and we love them for it because we should be more hopeful and we should be believing more that God is going to be victorious with the church. Uh, so, but that's the difference. And if we want to talk about this more, we can do this more, but we'd spend all day on eschatology at this point. So, and so I know I heard a whisper that said, I still don't get it. Talk to me later. We'll do our best. So, you're welcome. Ben, want to ask one last question? Or? Yeah, ask, ask that, that last one right there. Ask that last one yeah, right that, there that they right said. There. Uh, I'm scared of this. This one? Sorry, there's a glare, so. It's, okay. it's so, the old R.C. Sproul question. What's wrong with you people? So, so what is uh, PRC's stance on Christians drinking alcohol, even in moderation? Pastor Travis. <laughs> What did I do? Um, you just call on me. So, so the, the, that's why the, you wanted me to ask our the church, question. Wow. Our church has no official, like we didn't write down this is the rule. So you need to know that. There is no PRC stance on this topic. I will tell you what, if you ask me the question in general, what we think about it. Number one, I love how Romans talks about the fact that when it comes to questionable issues, a lot of times the best thing for you to do is to not get into it with other people so you don't make a mess out of the issue. So, you know, you don't want to be the Christian that walks up to everybody you meet and go, you drink, you drink, you drink. That probably won't help in most instances, especially if you're quick to be offended by how they respond to you. Leave them alone. Uh, the Bible condemns drunkenness as a sin. The Bible does not condemn the consumption of, of alcohol. Uh, wine is used in the 
Lord's Supper, for goodness sakes. Jesus, Jesus turned water to wine at a wedding in Cana, and it was real wine. Some people will try to make an argument that, oh, it wasn't wine like our wine because of how we do the fermentation process, and you are turning back flips to interpret the scripture in a way that you want it to be, I think, at that point, and I just, I can't go along with that historically and grammatically. I don't think that fits. I do believe they watered their wine down, but that was because they, because they didn't want to get drunk. They also drank wine because they didn't have filtration. You drank alcohol because everything else had parasites in it. Nobody needs to drink alcohol, and nobody should ever feel pressured to do so. If you have a problem with alcohol because you don't like it, you don't think it's a good thing to do, you think it's dangerous, don't drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. If you have had a problem in your past with alcohol and therefore need not to do so because it could hurt you or lead you down a bad road, set a standard for yourself and be disciplined. Amen. If, however, you can consume alcohol without falling into drunkenness, without sliding into sin, without abusing your family, without it becoming an idol in your life. If you need alcohol, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. But the Bible does not condemn it. Therefore, if you and your family wish to have a bottle of wine at your dinner, I'm not going to judge you. So the church's stance is we don't have a stance, but we're going to be very gracious with one another. There are people in this church who would enjoy a wine or a beer or whatever. There are people in this church who will not. If you're with somebody who doesn't, uh, if, you know, if, if somebody's invited you out to dinner and you know they're not drinkers, you know, you probably don't want to go ahead and say, well, I'm going to do what I like to do no matter what. I don't think that's loving other people well. You might ask them, hey, would it bother you if I did this? Would you be offended if I, if I ordered something with my meal? I think that's a way to be gracious. And they could say, and, and if you're the one who is offended by it, don't be a coward and say, no, but really you will be offended. That's dishonest. Just say, you know what? I would really rather we not. And we can all love each other well enough to be gracious about that. So there's my alcohol answer. <laughs> and I think we're at time. Guys, was this worthwhile? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. We didn't even get through half the questions. No, <laughs> we, we, we could do it once more. We have a lot of questions left, right? Would you, would you guys like to do this again soon or want to put it off for a while? Soon. soon. Okay, we've got room. Maybe we'll do it on, on the 2nd of April when I'm back. Ooh, or you guys could all answer questions while I'm gone. No. At least Jason will be And there's back. Ben. No. All right. Jason answer all the questions. Ja- Jason, uh, Jason is an amillennialist, just so you know. We have two amillennial elders. I'm historic premillennial. Anthony is leaning toward me because he loves me. So, Again, pray for our pastor. In fact, why don't you do that right now? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Dear Lord, thank you again just for this time to come together, Lord. And we're so grateful for all that you do in and amongst our church, God. We're so grateful to have a group of elders who, who can disagree and, and challenge each other, Lord. But also, ultimately, our, our goal here is to love you and, and love our church and serve um, our body well, God. And so I just ask that you continue to help us with that. Give us the, the wisdom. Give us the, the, the knowledge, the ability to do so, Lord. Just pray as we prepare our hearts for worship this, this morning that you be glorified in, in the singing of the word, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, um, and in all that we do, Lord, to, to worship you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.